The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Wiseman in at running back, third and one at the four. Here's Wiseman with the carry, and Wiseman pushing his way into the end zone for the touchdown. That was an old school football drive as Iowa marched it down on the ground and put six on the board. Old school football drive, and the scoring touchdown was an old school play, just an off tackle power. Everybody blocks down, backside guard pulls around for the front side linebacker, pullback kicks out, touchdown. Thing of beauty. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have the second of our weekly reporters notebook segments in this podcast. This show features Scott Docterman, who looks ahead at the Hawks home game against the Michigan Wolverines. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Michigan's Brady Hoke. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbinad and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other reporters' notebook podcast this week with Steve Batterson. The Iowa-Purdue game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Kevin Kugler and Glenn Mason. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who was asked about the importance of blitzing Michigan's dual-threat quarterback, Devin Gardner. The issue for us is we're not a big blitz uh, team. Our percentages are probably way lower than most people, so typically for us to get there, we got to get there with our front four, and uh, that is an area we need to improve upon, and uh, so it's, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, we, we certainly can't let him get comfortable back there, and we can't let him get outside either. We did that a few times last week, last year and paid for it both on Ampass, so yeah, he's a very talented guy and can, can hurt you a couple different ways. Ference was asked if Jordan Canzeri will now be a bigger part of Iowa's offense the next two games after his career performance at Purdue. He's certainly in the rotation now a lot more prominently than, than a month ago. Yeah, and then the other good news is with the bye week, I think our backs will be fresher. You know, I think they, uh, I don't say they're worn down, but like our whole team, I think everybody gets a little bit tired as the year goes on. It's a long season. You know, last week gave our guys a chance maybe to get their legs back. Hopefully that's the case. And I think we definitely saw it with Jordan in uh, the two games that he appeared in before the, the break. Ference talks about his outstanding trio of senior linebackers. They played pretty well a year ago, and uh, you know, they're playing at a much higher level this year, I think. And that, that kind of tells the story, that the deeper story to me is the leadership that they've given, and leadership's all about what you do in terms of demonstrating you know, your commitment. And those, those guys really have practiced hard last spring, certainly in camp, and, and they've played well all year long. But they've improved because they do, they do work at it. They, they prepare, they study. Uh, 
they spend a lot of time. And then, you know, beyond that, they think uh, way beyond themselves. You know, they're really uh, good team-oriented guys. All three of them are just tremendous that way. Good with younger guys, good with the older guys. And anything that we're doing, they're, they're in the front. You know, they're just that, that kind of – and I'm talking about things away from football, too. They're just uh, – you can't say enough about them. You know, so it's just – it's a really good group. And we've had some good groups. We've had some really good linebackers. I just read a story about Tarpenny and surfacing him. Houston, I don't know if he started or not this week, but it sounded like he was going to. Uh, we've had some really, you know, outstanding guys at that position, and these three guys have really done a, done a nice job of leaving their mark here. Ference was asked about the emotions surrounding senior day for all concerned. You know, it's hard on all the coaches, I think. You know, that's one thing about coaching in college uh, or high school. You know, you guys graduate and that's, you know, you should get used to it, but you don't. It's, it's always a little bit bittersweet that way. And then for a parent, and that is a moment, even if you're a coach, you're a parent during that moment uh, more so than a coach. And it, it's hard. You know, it's a, it's a tough thing, but you're also very proud of you. You know, I'll tell you, anybody that runs this race, uh, and I say it all the time, I say it to our team, anybody that runs a race to become a senior and go through their senior year here, uh, whether they're you know four-year starters like James Morris or guys that never hit the field, the level of commitment that takes, mental toughness, all that stuff. I mean, the, the, you know, the work these guys do behind the scenes, it's amazing. And then most guys go, suffer some type of injury. You know, hopefully it's not uh, involving surgery, but most of them have experienced injury during their careers. You know, it, it's just a, it's a really tough road. It's not for everybody. And I think I speak for about our staff, anybody that comes through the program and, and makes it to, to midfield at Kinnick, that's, that's quite an accomplishment. And it's yeah, we, we've been really fortunate. We've had a lot of great young people, and, and that's not unique to Iowa, but it's just, you know, it's a real real compliment to the guys that do it. And Kirk was asked to assess his team's overall improvement at this point in the season. I mean, we've talked about that since the start, and you know, started back in November. You know, the only good thing about finishing the season, if it's a bad season, is it's that season's over. You do the same after a good season. You know, it's a new season whenever that curtain drops, which it dropped pretty early last year. So, you know, I guess the only positive of it was we had another month as this year's team to be together. You'd much rather be going into January before you go through that process. But no matter what happens, you, you flip the page and you start new. No team is the same, and no week is the same either once you get into a season. So uh, the one thing I will say, this this group has really just been, they've been fun to work with since last November. You know, we're 10 games into it, 12 weeks into the season right now, and I say the same thing, and I'm, I'm pretty confident I'll be saying that uh, 12 days from now or whatever it is, 10 days now. It's, it's going fast. Hopefully we, we'll have a record. We, we can fortify our record, but that that's not going to come easy. we got, we got a lot of we got a lot of challenges in front of us and but they, they've been it's been just a fun team to be around and coach next up michigan head coach brady hoku talks about what the three overtime win last saturday at northwestern means to his team that has seen its fair share of struggles this year there's no question you know uh we needed to go out and play michigan football and fight for 60 plus minutes and i think the the teaching moments you know that are so critical for a team especially when you got you know young guys just what you did with the hurry up field goal you know i mean that that and how we practice it and how we do it and the emphasis that's made there. Um, I think uh, winning the football game, you know, uh, you can throw the weather in, you can throw a lot of things in. That you know, they they responded well and they never panicked. It was it was kind of neat on the sideline. The offense was out there and uh, defensive guys were chanting, uh, you know, offense. You know, I mean, it's like uh, high school. It was it was neat. They were having fun. Did the same thing uh, when they defense was on the field so you know they really you know as a team play and they care and they were accountable hope talks about iowa's quarterback jake rudock yeah number one i think um i think we think you know mechanically from 
techniques of playing the position, the footwork and everything. He's as good as anybody in the conference. And, uh, you know, it shows. He'll move up in the pocket. He'll he'll go through his reads. And if he doesn't like it, he'll find the check down, which I think he does very, very well. He uh, has a nice uh, spin on his ball, can make all the throws, done a good job at the line of scrimmage, getting them into the right runs, the pay on techniques and uh, what you show them. And so I, we think he's done a really a, a nice job of uh, developing, obviously, but he's he's really, really a guy that uh, does a nice job handling their football team. Hoke was asked what it means to his team to have starting linebacker Jake Ryan back from injury. He was voted by, you know, his teammates as a captain, and, uh, you know, he was uh, the only junior captain on that list, and, uh, you know, or for our team. So I think that speaks volumes uh, uh, because he went out in the spring ball in the first week. I think it speaks volumes to the work ethic that uh, he did in the rehabilitation and the team watching him and the team knowing his leadership. And, you know, I, I think that really uh, he's done a really great job for us. Brady Hoke talks about Iowa's tradition of toughness under head coach Kirk Ferentz. It's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Coach Ferentz is uh, being an offensive line coach. He, he knows something about it, and uh, that's part of it. I think what they do in the offseason has to be part of it. I think how they uh, go about what they want to do as an offense is a big part of it. And, you know, that, that's just how they've all, you know, as far as I can remember, that's the kind of football team you're going Play. And Hoke discusses Iowa's trio of senior linebackers. Besides the athleticism, I think they're very smart football players. I think uh, the front does a nice job of uh, uh, frictioning a line of scrimmage, keeping uh, them pretty uh, clean so that they can flow to the football. But, you know, you, you can flow to the football and go the wrong way, but I think their intelligence and their, their uh, dissecting of, of, uh, of an offense and of plays is really that stands out. You know, they, they don't ask them to do a whole lot uh, when you look at different defenses and, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing a little more pressure than they have in the past this year, it seems like. But uh, at the same time, you know, they're, they're locked into their scheme and they believe in it. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. It's time for the second of our two weekly reporters' notebook shows. This was Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott Docterman. Scott looks ahead at the Michigan game and more. Scott, your closing thoughts on the win at Purdue and Iowa in its second bye week? It was one of those get-well wins, ironically, after a couple of players left the game when they were injured. But it, it was good for Iowa to not only win, but win decisively to play well in the second half and, and look good doing it and, and in all three phases of the game. So it was, it was important that they got bowl eligible now. Uh, they won on the road. Third win on the road, which is pretty significant for this team and this program. And then they got a week off to kind of prepare. And, and I think what we saw
saw earlier this year was when they had a bye week. They went to Ohio State, and I thought played their best half of football, the first half at Ohio State. So uh, if they were are able to refine and execute and, and get the package ready for Michigan and Nebraska to finish the season, I think Iowa will use the time very wisely, and, and it benefit, it'll benefit them in these last two games. So Iowa comes into Saturday. It plays its last home game of the season. It's senior day. Michigan comes in after a three-overtime win at Northwestern, but that game shouldn't have been as, as close as it was if the Wildcats wouldn't have dropped all those potential picks. Michigan leads the all-time series, 41-13-4, but Iowa's won the last two games in Iowa City and three of the last four games in the series. Brady Hoke in his third season. But this Michigan team has struggled off and on all season long on both sides of the ball. It's really inexplicable how this team has struggled through the course of the season. I mean, you know, in the, in the very beginning, I think they won 59-9 to against Central Michigan, a team that went to a bowl game, and then they beat Notre Dame decisively at night. And everybody kind of expected, okay, Michigan's competitive. They're here. They're, they're going to be a good team. And, and then, for whatever reason, they have just slid uh, when it comes to, to offense. And, and even going as far back as the middle of last month against Indiana, they ran for almost 250 yards, seven touchdowns. And then, then they got a dose of reality against Michigan State, running <laughs> 29 times for minus 48. And then, same thing with uh, Nebraska, inexplicably ran some minus 20. This is a team that's that's kind of lacks an identity on offense. Devin Gardner played really well at the end of last year. I think Iowa fans can remember that game uh, vividly and what he was able to do. So it was expected that he would be a competitor for the Big Ten Silver Football Award. Unbelievably, he seems to have lacked confidence that Michigan hasn't designed its offense correctly around him, allow him to do the things they want to do. They haven't been able to run the football, and they aren't getting the ball to, to two really good players. And that's Devin Funches to the tight end and Jeremy Gallon, the wide receiver. Those two are among the best at their position in the game, and Devin Gardner appeared to be that way last year. But I think it all starts up front, which, again, a little bit of a irony that maybe they have the worst offensive line in the Big Ten or one of the worst, and they have supposedly one of the best offensive linemen, and that's here the one. And yet, uh, here we are, trying to figure out what Michigan is 10 games into a season. And, and I think that starts up front, and it starts with philosophy, and whether or not the, the young players are going to blossom into something later on. Now, interesting that uh, the Wolverines and the Hawkeyes are tied for fourth place in the Legends Division. Both have three and three records. Michigan needs to win this Saturday in Kinnick Stadium to even have a chance for a winning Big Ten record, and that's highly unlikely in any event because they face Ohio State uh, next weekend in their regular season finale. It is. It is unusual because they're not going to... I would be really surprised if they're able to beat Ohio State, uh, who will be very motivated for that game, regardless that it's in Ann Arbor. There's two much distance between those two teams. So Michigan coming on the road uh, has kind of a, a challenge on its hands. But that said, there's a world of difference for this program going from where it was late in the fourth quarter against Northwestern to pulling out a triple overtime win where you can see maybe a little bit more confidence. Devin Gardner in that third overtime really took over and, and performed like we expected him to. So I think we're seeing a team now that's uh, that maybe they're building something here. Now, if they don't win this weekend, that's losing four out of the last five. It'll affect them in the bowl slotting even with seven wins, say Michigan and Iowa are tied with seven wins, might see some, you know, Iowa jumping them, which is kind of unusual. But, uh, you know, when a team loses four out of five, there's a lot of questions that Bulls don't want to have to answer. So, but, you know, this team still scores points uh, and, you know, 34 and a half a game. I, it, it's really inexplicable to me how, how they perform this year. You talked about the questioning what their offensive identity is. They are trying to switch from an option offense when they had Denard Robinson under the center, now going more to a pro st-
style offense with Devin Gardner, who you talked about. He's he's a kind of mobile quarterback that's caused Iowa problems in the past. But Iowa's defensive line is better this year. It's considerably better, and the whole team is considerably better on defense. I mean, they rank third in the Big Ten behind Michigan State and Wisconsin, two of the best in the country. And the front four is able to not necessarily get a lot of sacks, although that those numbers have grown, but they disrupt the passing game. They're able to get into the backfield, cause bad throws, just be in the quarterback's face, which a year ago, uh, it was basically seven on seven on offense for the opponent. Devin Gardner, to me, looks like he's a lot more comfortable in the shotgun, where he can see the field and kind of locate some things early in the in the count once the snap's going on, as opposed to under center. And you, you kind of wonder um, about Brady Hoke, if he's trying to, you know, put the, you know, the, the cliche there, square peg round hole type of thing. Um, he, he wasn't able to do it at all with the, Denard Robinson, and who would want to, but teams would want to try to do that with Devin Gardner, and I don't know if it's the right fit. If they were smart, they would allow him to do what he does well, gain confidence, because he can make plays both with his arm and his feet. He's a taller quarterback, so he's not quite the twitch guy that we've seen in some mobile quarterbacks, you know, Kane Coulter or what have you, but but uh, he does have speed and he does have athletic ability, so I, I'm really, I think that's a really interesting battle there you know, as to you know, what they try to do with Denard Robinson, or sorry, Devin Gardner, and whether Iowa will be able to contain it, because if they can, that's a pretty good position for Iowa to be in. You've talked about the fact that they have very good players at skill positions offensively. We just talked about Devin Gardner. You earlier mentioned wide receiver Jeremy Gallon, who's a terrific player. He's second in the Big Ten in receiving yards. Already has seven touchdowns this season. Interesting story about their young tight end, Devin Funches, who you also mentioned. He actually leads the Big Ten tight ends in catches and yards and TDs. And maybe the most surprising thing to most people is he's the all-time leading tight end in Michigan history in a single season in terms of receiving yards. That is unusual. You know, I didn't know that, John. That's that's very interesting because he's uh, he's just, you know, he's a guy who's active in the passing game. Now, you know, Michigan guys that we remember, you know, going way back under Lloyd Carr, even farther with uh, Bo Schembechler, is big, tough, strong guys who block a lot and then once in a while get behind the, the, the linebackers and make a play on third down. And, and they're more active now using their tight ends. And, uh, and Funches has really come up big. I mean, he's a really good receiving tight end. I think he's going to be excellent at the next level. But as you mentioned, you know, Jeremy Gallon uh, had one of the greatest games in Big Ten history against Indiana. Now, a lot of players could probably do that too, but he had 14 catches for 369 yards in that game. Just an incredible amount of, you know, what numbers, catches, open in space. And it just shows you that he's got, they've got explosive targets. They've got guys who can make plays. And they haven't made a lot of plays this year or, or at least last few weeks, but they have that ability. So you can't lose contain on them. You can't, and if you're a defensive back, you can't lose sight that, oh, yeah, you know, they haven't been very good. Like, you know, you got to cover them on each and every play because it won't take much for uh, Jeremy Gallon to get behind a corner and boom, he's gone. So both of those, play- those players in particular are a very difficult stop, and I would be wise to, to keep them in their sights each and every play. Things are a bit more jumbled at the running back position, They're, uh, and it's a stunning number. 11th in the Big Ten in rushing, 96th in the FBS. Fitzgerald Toussaint came into the season as a starting running back. He's struggled a bit compared to, I think, what most people thought would be the case. He was out of the Northwestern game because of an apparent concussion injury. Still, he has 11 rushing TDs, but at Northwestern, they had two true freshmen who are much bigger guys in Tucson step up and, and play pretty well. They did. Green is, is going to be the guy that I think going forward is, is going to be their bell cow on, on offense. Uh, you know, a, he came in about 240 pounds, and now he's down to about 230. They wanted him to just get a little bit quicker, and, and I think we'll, we'll see a lot out of him over 
the next three to four years, although maybe not Iowa necessarily, because I don't think Iowa plays him until 2016 at the next go-around. But he's, uh, I think he was a five-star recruit. They wanted to get him in early, Derek Green. And now he's kind of, at least the other day, assumed that role. He had 79 yards. But Fitzgerald's um, probably going to start this game. Uh, he was, Brady Oak said earlier this week that he was a little bit, by the end of the week he was cleared. They just decided to withhold him, which is probably the smart thing to do, especially in this day and age. So uh, I, I expect Fitz Toussaint to play. He, he's a pretty good running back, but you know some of these numbers, uh, you know, for Michigan and the run skewed by those two games against Michigan State and, and Nebraska, and you know the number of negative yards, especially sacks, really uh, contributed to those numbers. And in college football, sacks count as negative rushing yards. And I think Michigan State sacked Devin Gardner almost every series, so it, it's it's a little funny. But I think the most interesting thing with Michigan is last week they were three of seventeen on third down, and that's just an unfathomable number for a guy or a team with this many playmakers. So, but again, they made plays when they had to. You know, uh, obviously you saw the, the slide, you know, one of the miracle type field goals, and then and then in the third overtime, Devin Gardner really took over. So, does that lift them and give them a lot of confidence, and they're able to make plays and win this game? That remains to be seen. But I think the ability to do so is there, and a lot of it's going to come down to confidence and offensive line play. They're ninth in the Big Ten in third down conversions, ninth in total offense, and the sacks issue for whatever the problems are with their offensive line, young, inexperienced. They've given up 31 sacks, 19 in the last three games. It is, again, it's, it's shocking. With the, You know, you have a guy like Taylor Luan who, who stayed for a senior year. He was going to be a top 10 draft pick, and then here they're unable to, to do what it takes to, to you know, compete, and you see Devin Gardner is kind of have that, you know, deer in the headlights look because of this. Now, a lot of it's through their interior. Um, they have some freshman guards playing. They, they, they just, they're very young and experienced, not very confident. They seem to, at times, maybe taking wrong steps. So, uh, but, but with Iowa, again, they're a little bit better, you know, in fact, they're considerably better from where they were last year, which was really bad. Uh, they've got 17 sacks, so they're actually getting some pressure on the quarterback. And I don't necessarily think sacks are going to be the issue. It's going to be about disruption, whether or not they can force Devin Gardner to do something he doesn't want to do. Um, and if a sack comes with it, you know, hey, that's, that's the way to do it. But uh, it's just really interesting to me how Michigan offensively is not tough on those teams that, that we've seen for not only years, but generations. And whether or not Brady Hill can really refine that image to fit what he wanted it to do. On defense, they're more or less average, kind of in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, seventh in scoring defense, fifth in total defense, tenth in passing defense, which might be an opening for Iowa. But their best stat defensively is probably in rushing defense. They're very good. They're better than Iowa, according to the statistics, giving up 111.2 yards a game. That's deceiving, though. I mean, I, I think uh, they have not played Wisconsin. They won't play Wisconsin. They haven't played Ohio State yet. So they haven't played the two best running teams in the Big Ten. So I think that's that's a little bit deceiving. But but that said, I think they're pretty good, too. I mean, Greg Madison's an accomplished defensive coordinator, and he's got a pretty good team. I think up front, they're they're not quite as strong as they would like to be. But I think in the, in the linebacker position, especially now with Jake Ryan coming back, they're they're, uh, they're pretty good. And, and in, in the secondary, they, they do get their fair share of, of takeaways. Uh, you know, they're second in the Big Ten in interceptions with 13. And they, they're average against the pass. But I, I think this is a team that it doesn't really beat itself on defense and it's able to, to compete. Now, I think I think conversely, what can Iowa do against that? Well, Iowa struggles on third down. Even though, you know, they're at 49%, it just seems like to me that whenever they need a third down, more so than ever, not third and six from their own 40 and they don't get it that they have to punt, but when it's third and five, the opponent's 38, that they don't get it, and then they're in that no-man's land of punt or field 
goal or go for it. And that's where I think it's going to lie the rub for Iowa. If they can convert those third down opportunities inside their opponent's 40, inside Michigan's 40, I think they'll have an opportunity to take control of this game. Otherwise, Michigan could stall them out a little bit. And again, they've got playmakers. They've got more playmakers on offense than Iowa does. And that's a dangerous sign. Well, let's focus more on Iowa's perspective coming into this game. Defensively, the Hawkeyes have now held nine of 10 opponents under their rushing average. And as we know, they've only allowed four rushing touchdowns, which is tied for the lowest in the nation, and only nine red zone touchdowns, which is also tied for the lowest. But they have been susceptible to the long pass plays, and we've already talked about how good Gallon is. That, that's, again, the dangerous part. You know, I mean, it's been something that's happened pretty much every game all year long, that they've given up one big pass play. That, and, and sometimes that happens, but it's happened a little bit more often than I would like to get. But th- where this team is, is grown, Kirk Ferentz mentioned it the other day, is, is, is the defensive line and the way they've been able to stop the run. Uh, and they've, yeah, they've given up some, some pretty significant run yardage at times, but you know, those are some really good teams. Those are teams that are better than Iowa, frankly, and that's Ohio State concert. So to, to be able to, to hold them to 138 games, four touchdowns, shows real commitment and strength in that part of the team. You know, I think pass defense, Iowa isn't that bad, actually. You know, they don't they give up less than 190 yards a game. Uh, that's just behind, again, those stalwarts on that side of the ball, Michigan State and Wisconsin. They've got maybe, in my opinion, maybe the most underrated defensive player in the Big Ten, and that's D.J. Lower. He's uh, second in passes defended. He's tied for second, basically, in interceptions, and he's tied for second in forced fumbles. Now, so this is a guy that, that can do it, and he's a, and he's done a really good job this year at times, but he's also given up some plays, and I think that's what people remember a little bit more than some of the good plays. So I expect him to him and Desmond King, who may be a potential freshman All-American candidate at corner, to, to do a decent job understanding what they need to do against Gallon. I think a lot of it's going to come down to the safeties, and that's where they've got veterans in Tanner Miller and John Loudermilk, and how do they handle punches? How do they handle the play action? Last year, it was a disaster for Iowa. I think there was an 11-second play there where Devin Gardner had all day to throw and then and connected for like a 45-yard touchdown pass. That's going to be crucial as to how the safeties play, to how Iowa can control and contain what the what the Wolverines want to do on offense. Now to that point, uh, as good as the cornerbacks have been overall this season, Tanner Miller in particular has had his uh, fair share of struggles and I think he's given up some big plays in spite of his picks. Offensively, you know, when you go back and you think game by game and, and, you, and sort of what stands out in your mind are those games where Iowa was completely out of balance in terms of its offensive production, way heavy run versus pass, but overall in the season, Iowa scored 27 offensive touchdowns, 14 by pass, 13 by rush, net yards separated by only 101 out of the 4,000 yards in offense. So that's kind of interesting, and maybe it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what they try to emphasize going into this Michigan game. I think the wind may be a big factor. It's going to be really cold on Saturday. I mean, the high may reach 20, 22, something like that, which is just crazy compared to where it started this year. And the heat index over 100 in the first games. So if they're going into a stiff wind, uh, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of pass, except maybe to the flat. Well, even then, you don't want <laughs> that go the other way really quick. So the thing, the thing is with this team, I think one thing that Purdue did that was good and bad against Purdue is one, they, they did a good job of converting and scoring, but it, it kind of overshadowed the fact that they had struggled so badly in the second half against in most of the Big Ten that, uh, you know, hope, uh, hopefully the team doesn't necessarily mask those issues. I, I doubt they do, but this may be a kind of a punter's type of game, especially for Iowa. And I want to see what Jake Rudock can do in a cold temperature. I mean, he's from Florida, and he's never 
never played in kind of a game like this tour up here. You know, so I want to see how he handles that kind of cold and, you know, if he's able to compete at a high level. Your keys to this game, prediction, the important matchups? I think the, the most important thing for Iowa's defense is to contain Devin Gardner. Don't allow him to get confident in the pocket. Don't allow him to get confident on the run. Keep him pinned in. Keep the pressure on him. Force him to make a turnover. He's a turno- been a turnover machine this year. Don't allow him to make plays because he can't. He's got more athletic ability than any other person on Iowa's team. And, and that said, um, for the secondary, the key is don't don't do anything stupid. Basically, don't get out of position when uh, if the Gardner does escape the pocket. Because Iowa will be able to handle Michigan's running attack. I don't think that's going to be much of an issue. On offense, it's going to be about making sure that Iowa tends drives. We've seen so many drives, especially in the second half of these games, where Iowa get three yards on first down, four yards in second down, and then it throws an incomplete pass or a minus one in the running game and has to punt or what have you. They cannot do that on a regular basis on Saturday. I think they could survive some drives, but not all the drives. So you got to extend them, get points when they're available because beating Michigan, you can never take that for granted. In Iowa's last six BCS bowl appearances, meaning four Rose Bowls, oh, going all the way back to before Sevashevsky, his second Rose Bowl, it's three under Hayden Fry and the two Orange Bowls under Kirk Ferentz. They've beaten Michigan all those years. Beating Michigan emphasizes a successful season. And if Iowa gets to seven wins this year, that means to me that Iowa has almost doubled its win total from last year. And beating a blue blood like Michigan, no matter what year and how good they are, always feels good. So I think Iowa has enough on defense to, to execute the game plan. I think on offense, they have enough to not make enough many mistakes to do what it takes to win. I see a very tight, hard fought game and Iowa winning 16-13. Closing out here, a couple of things. Some terrific seniors, 15 of them, will play their last game at Kinnick Stadium. And some of the names are more recognizable to most fans and others. Iowa's trio of senior linebackers certainly have been terrific. C.J. Fedorowicz, B.J. Laurie, you mentioned him, kicker Mike Meyer, and some others. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm always partial to some of the kids who uh, play sparingly, uh, but, but are, you know, they don't get a lot of publicity from me or whoever, but they go to they go to the games, they go to the practices, they work out all year round just to, to do what they need to do to help the team win, and that could be scout team duty, that could be special team duty. A guy like uh, Gavin Smith, you know, went to Iowa City West, he plays in special teams, you know, doesn't really get in on at all on defense, but they're every day, and he competes and he works hard. Somebody like Nolan McMillan, who uh, in 2010 started six games at guard, uh, a very good team, and then has struggled through some injuries and, and hasn't been able to regain either his spot or, or his stature with the team. So there are, there are all kinds of stories. I mean, 15 seniors, it, it's kind of a small class, and some of that's kind of attributed to the you know, to some of the losses they've had, you know, either through recruiting or guys leaving the program. That said, if they can win on a senior day against Michigan, get a seventh win, I think uh, you, you can chalk it up as a successful season and, and, and for the most part, a successful career in Iowa City. Now, you'll be basking in the sun next week covering Iowa basketball, and Steve Batterson will sub in for the Nebraska preview for you. And certainly want to thank you for your participation and your insights all season long. So before you take off, uh, any early thoughts on Black Friday and also maybe any comments at this point in terms of Big Ten bowl slotting? Because obviously both of these games, Saturday against Michigan and and, uh, next week against Nebraska, are crucial for that. Yeah, you know, I think Iowa and Nebraska are kind of the spring teams in this uh, in the bowl alignment. If Iowa wins out, I think Iowa's got a really good chance of the Outback Bowl because that would put Iowa at eight and four, uh, Nebraska at eight and four. Nebraska has already been to Florida a couple of times. I mean, Nebraska usually kind of gets the win in, in any kind of bowl tie just because of the rotation and what have you. But an Iowa win, Iowa 
has, has some good turnouts, too, in the Outback Bowl. And the three straight wins, wins over Michigan and Nebraska to finish the season, uh, would put them, I think, right, right in that fourth place type of position in their bowls. However, if Iowa were to say, what, maybe beat Michigan and lose to Nebraska, I think you're looking at some kind of weird scenario because you've got Minnesota sitting there with eight wins, who Iowa beat. Uh, you've got Michigan, you know, at probably seven wins. you got Nebraska at eight wins. So it's going to be kind of an interesting little do-si-do as to who goes where. You know, Minnesota doesn't have quite the reputation, but Minnesota hasn't played on New Year's Day since 1962. So you kind of wonder if uh, if Gopher fans would really try to push for that and, and get that New Year's Day bid, et cetera, in their cap. I, I think there are four possibilities for Iowa, depending on what happens. I think if they win two, they're, they're in the Outback Bowl. If they lose two, I think they're in the Texas Bowl in Houston against the Big 12 opponent. The one-on-one, and I think there are a lot of different things in play. They could go back to the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl in Arizona, or they could end up in the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Florida. So one thing is for sure, they're going to play a pretty decent opponent from a major conference, and uh, getting back to a bowl for this program is, is vital. Um, last year, it, you know, the 4-8 and eight just felt like it was like three years long. You know, talking about it in the off season, it was approached almost on a daily basis, it felt like. So it was such a dark cloud over and over this program that if they can get to that 7-8 wins and, and get to a pretty good bowl game, it, it'll be a real shot in the arm. But, you know, I guess we'll find out. Now, as far as Black Friday goes, it was there was a little bit of a question as to whether that was going to continue past the next couple of years for Iowa and Nebraska. Um, it was new, obviously, for Iowa. Nebraska's had this tradition for a long time, and the Big Ten was kind of openly speculating or, or considering whether or not they should move, um, you know, Wisconsin and have them play Nebraska at season's end and maybe reunite Iowa and Minnesota as that season ender. But ultimately, they decided to keep Iowa with Nebraska, and uh, they extended it through 2019, and barring any kind of expansion noise or changes or what have you, I expect that to continue. I think it's a good thing for, for both Iowa and, and Nebraska. It's good for competition and it's good for exposure, but Iowa has to win one of these, and uh, maybe this is the year that it happens. They kind of, the, the series, I think everybody expected it to turn into a full-blown rivalry right off the bat, and it's been kind of a, a party dud, and I think uh, if Iowa can go to Nebraska and win, maybe even win decisively, I think it changes the, the way people view those two teams and against each other, and, and I think that would be a healthy thing for the Big Ten and for the two programs. The wild card going into that game, and you and I talked about this six or seven weeks ago, speculating way ahead of time, is if Nebraska goes into Penn State this weekend and loses, then Bo Pelini could be coaching for his job because if he loses that game against the Nittany Lions and loses to Iowa and Lincoln, you're probably looking at a new head coach for the Cornhuskers. Very well could, and uh, that, to me, I, I, I don't know I, I, I don't understand that necessarily to Nebraska. I mean, it has a high view of itself based on all those trophies and <laughs> that they've earned over the years, but that's not the really, really reality right now with uh, Nebraska. I mean, they've won seven games. They've won at least nine, if not ten games every year under Bo Pelini, but they've also lost four games every year under Bo Pelini, so that's what's killing them right now. They don't understand, and there's not a lot of love there for Bo Pelini, and uh, it's certainly possible that you know one uh, another loss could doom him, but if you're Nebraska, you're not going to just walk in and say, we need to get the, you know, the pick of the litter here. I, you know, I think coaches are smart. They understand. They look at things and go, why would I want to go there? I mean, the guy, all he did was win nine or ten games every year, and now you're out of firing him. I mean, the expectations are out of control for a team that has no recruiting base, that uh, used to recruit in Texas fairly heavily, will never play Texas on a regular basis, and has to go over and pick the carcass of Ohio, Illinois, and, and Pennsylvania on a regular basis. So I think they've got to be careful in how they approach it, because if they pick the wrong guy, 
And that really set that program back. So, but that said, if uh, Bopolini has not warmed up to the fan base, and if they do go lose at Penn State, or if they come back and Iowa beats them decisively, you know, a couple of touchdowns on the road, uh, you might see him on the hot seat. That, that's just an interesting dynamic. And that's all I have to say about that. They're down in a yard, play action, Bethard on the naked. And Bethard trying to get to the goal line. He's in for the touchdown. Bethard fooling everyone, coach, as he scampered in from five yards out for the touchdown. And the Hawkeyes with 24 second-half points. This was a 14-7 game at halftime, a scoreless game at the end of the first quarter. But the Iowa Hawkeyes flexing their muscle on the ground and have opened up a 38-7 lead. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Scott Docterman. We appreciate his contributions and insight all season long. Great job, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast and that you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.